All right, so we are in a, a series called God and Money, and we're week three. Some of the things that we've covered so far, just to uh, refresh our minds this uh, Sunday evening, is that we started off uh, with the basis of the series is that every single thing belongs to the Lord. Everything. The earth, everything in it, my body, my ability to produce wealth, it belongs to the Lord. And outworking from that is then I am just a steward of everything that he has given me. Everything is the Lord's. I am his steward. My responsibility is to be a faithful steward of everything that the Lord has given me. Then mistakes that we can make coming out of the, this thinking about money is the mistake that we can make is money is bad. And of course we reject that. We don't uh, preach a poverty gospel where we think you only become holy if you don't have any money. No, we reject that. But the other danger that we reject is that money becomes God in our pursuits and our love for money. We can end up worshiping it and we also reject that. And so we've been asking the question all the way through the series is what does the Bible have to say about money? We interact with it uh, so often or every single day. It's uh, what facilitates our lives. It's so important for us to have the right understanding, the right biblical understanding of money. And so tonight we're going to get into and go through a passage of what Jesus teaches about money. So some specific things about uh, words from Jesus. So why don't you get there in your Bibles? Matthew chapter 6 is where we are going to be uh, hanging out Largely tonight, that's going to be our launching pad for what we're going to be talking through tonight. So Matthew chapter 6, first book of the New Testament. Uh, you can open up your phones, go there, or uh, if you have a hard copy or paperback, you can, you can find it there. So we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 6, verses uh, 19 through to 21. Jesus is speaking here. This is one of Jesus' famous public teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And the heart of this whole big section is really just what does the Christian life look like? What does the character of a disciple look like? And, and he's now teaching into wealth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves uh, do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. So Jesus often said some very hard things. And right up front, he's putting two things against each other. There's earthly treasure and heavenly treasure. Now, we know that earthly treasure is not bad. And we know that uh, there were many wealthy people in the Bible, guys who had large bank accounts, and they were not bad. There wasn't evil that they had wealth. But what Jesus is saying here is if your life goal, the aim of your life is to pile up for yourselves treasures on this earth, you are being completely short-sighted. I might uh, have come out a little bit rude or come across a bit rude. Like, what do you mean short-sighted if I am uh, securing wealth for myself? Because surely, isn't there a you know, verse in, in Scripture that says, you know, there's wisdom in storing up wealth for your children's children? There's nothing wrong with doing that. What Jesus is saying is that storing up treasures on earth is not being long-sighted enough. See, we have met with financial planners. Uh, some of you have done that. I remember the first time I sat with a financial planner, and it was one of the most uh, daunting things I've ever had to sit through. 
This guy was uh, looking at my finances and he uh, had his computer out and he was uh, punching in all of these formulas. Like, if you start now and you put this amount of money away for this many years when you retire, this is the amount of money you're going to have to retire. Like, and I'm going, but I can't afford that now. I can't put that. No, don't worry about today. Don't worry about this now. You're going to uh, feel the benefit in the long run. When you get to retirement, when you get to 16, you've been investing for this. And, and it was quite a, quite a daunting process. And we understand the value of financial planning. And what financial planners uh, get us to do is to think about not now, not three years, uh, you know, 30 years, 60 years time when uh, you hit retirement, this is what you want to have invested in and stored up for yourself so that you can comfortably retire. There's wisdom in that. Jesus is saying in, in this passage, is going, don't worry about the next three years, don't worry about the next 30 years. We need to be concerned with the next 30 million years. Because earthly treasures are not bad, the problem with earthly treasures is that they are incredibly uncertain. It goes on in the opening verse of this passage. Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Moths can destroy. Simple thing as a moth can uh, get into your clothing, can destroy fabric. A well-built car gets eaten up by rust. I lived in a security complex in Cape Town, where my flat in a complex, in a block of flats, was cleaned out twice, and another two attempts were made on it. Thieves break in and steal. Things in this world are so uncertain. In a moment, things can be gone. Think of some of the crazy weather things that have been happening, even in Joburg. Flash floods in a second. Take out factories. Uh, tornadoes and earthquakes in, in Joburg. It's crazy, but it's been happening. The things in this world are so uncertain. Uh, the reality is this life is actually so, so incredibly temporary. Uh, sometimes I think we, we don't worry so much about that anymore because of you know, things like insurance and we can just replace what gets lost. But the reality is so much in this world is temporary. There was a really rich American guy. I'm sure you've heard uh, the surname Rockefeller, uh, one of the richest guys to have ever lived. And a question was asked to his accountants. How much did he take with him? And the accountant replied, nothing. You know, one of the wealthiest guys to have ever lived took nothing with him when he died. In fact, uh, this was shared this morning. It's a, a humorous story. But there was once a guy who was incredibly wealthy. And he was really angry at God with this uh, idea that, you know, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I return. Uh, I take nothing with me when I die. And he was considerably wealthy. And he was really uh, battling with the Lord with this. So the Lord said to him, okay, I, I understand you, this significantly wealthy guy. You've achieved so much in this life. I will grant you... Uh, the right to take one thing with you uh, to eternity when you die. One thing. So he went, okay, Lord, thank you. And so he racked his brain a bit and he decided that he would uh, sell all his assets and uh, then put all of um, his cash together into gold and then melt it all down to take one big gold 
uh, bar with him when he died. And the day came and he died and he arrived at uh, the pearly gates. There was, as all these stories go, St. Peter and the angels and uh, they stopped him and they said, you can't bring anything with you. He's like, no, 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 no. Uh, God said that uh, I could bring one thing with me and so here is my one thing. And Peter and the angels just burst out laughing at him and he's like, what's so funny? He's like, you could bring you could, could have brought anything with you, and, and you chose to bring paving stones. And, um, yeah, thanks, Monday. <laughs> if you don't get the joke, uh, we, we believe that the streets of heaven are paved with gold. And the reality of that is even if we could take something of that much earthly wealth, that's what we're going to walk on in eternity when we live in the new earth. So uh, this real reality that... So temporary are the things of this world. We cannot take anything with us. But there is the reality that while we can't take anything with us, we can send things ahead of us. And this is quite important to think through because there's heavenly treasures and there's earthly treasures. And I want you to think about a a scenario. It is a created scenario. As Steve uh, warned this morning, do not take any of this as advice um, and do not apply any of this Um, in the coming uh, days. But imagine a scenario where you have invested all of your money into Bitcoin. But now you get some inside trader information that you know in a few days' time, the whole Bitcoin market is going to crash. What do you do? Right? You take all of your money out of Bitcoin because you know that it is going to crash. Now imagine another scenario with this is that at the same time you know that Bitcoin is going to crash and you have further information that another product or another company is going to take off exponentially and you are going to make an absolute killing from investing into this company. Right? What do you do? You take your money out of Bitcoin because you know it's going to crash and you put everything into this other thing that is going to uh, give you a considerable uh, return. This is what Jesus is talking about. We know that this earth and everything in it is going to pass away. The things that we invest in, the things that we own, they all crumble and fade and break and are destroyed. Everything that we know in a hundred years is not going to be here. It's going to fade away. It breaks, crumbles. It's temporary. How long will eternal treasures last for? Eternity. If any of you are big into investing and you're looking for the ultimate thing to invest in, Jesus uh, has some seriously old advice for us, which is eternity. And this is so important for us, is that earthly treasures are going to fade. They do not last. We cannot take it with us. But there are some treasures that are eternal. And that is waiting for us. Now, um, what are these heavenly treasures that Jesus is talking about? I'll write this reference down. It's going to uh, come up as well on the screen, which we're going to read through. It's a verse that we have been uh, coming to a a few times so far this series. But uh, 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, command them to be good and to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, 
and so that they may take hold of the life that is truly living. Some really interesting things that come out of Scripture, and I know it's something that people start to get a little bit uncomfortable when we start to talk about earthly treasures and heavenly treasures, or rather specifically heavenly treasures. But here, this verse is uh, pointing to the fact that there are some actions that I can do as a steward here on this earth that is going to result in heavenly treasures and and treasures and rewards for uh, the life to come, eternity. I mean, there it is. You know, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. Those are uh, some actions, some outworking of my faith. And the result is they will lay up treasures for themselves for the coming age, eternity. There are things that we can do that result in heavenly rewards. Uh, turn with me if you want to, or just mark it for something to read in the week. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. This further just speaks to this idea of what a heavenly treasure or heavenly reward looks like. Matthew 25 is what is known as the parable of the talents. And a parable, just as a quick thing, is a teaching and a way of teaching that Jesus did to help us understand the nature of the kingdom of heaven. So in every parable, there are some characters, but they always refer back to either Jesus, us, and the kingdom. So in this parable, there's, some, there's a master. The master is Jesus. There are some servants. That is us. And so uh, a talent, if you are not sure what a talent is, they reckon it's, it's close to one talent is a sum of money, uh, somewhere just over a thousand US dollars is, is kind of what they reckon a talent is. But it is a sum of money. And so this is uh, how the parable kind of starts. I won't go through the whole parable. I'm just going to... Uh, pick some things out of it. Again, it will be, again, Jesus teaching about the kingdom. It will be like a man going on a journey and uh, who called his servants and entrusted his property uh, to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, and to another he gave one talent, each one according to their ability. Then he went on his journey. So Jesus has left. We know he's coming back. Uh, we are his church. He has entrusted things to us. And so we know the guy with the five talents, he went straight away, put it to work, made five more. The guy with the two talents went, put it to work, two more. The one guy, one talent, went and buried it. It says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Jesus is returning. The master is coming back. The man who received the five talents brought the other five. Master, um, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. This is verse 21. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in my master's happiness. Like this, there is reward for his faithfulness as a steward in, in what the Lord has entrusted him with. He was faithful with what the Lord gave him, what the master gave him. The response is, you are a good and faithful servant. Come and share in my happiness. You were in charge of a few things. Now I'm going to put you in charge of more things. Same thing happened with the guy who's given two talents. Same thing. Well done. Come and share in my happiness. I put you in charge of a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of more things. It is really safe to say, 
we can comfortably say that Jesus rewards a life of faithful stewardship. We often get caught up in this this thing that we call like even easy believism. You've heard, maybe heard me talk about heavenism. That we think Christianity is I say a prayer to tick a box so that I'm safe for my whole life as we just like security. So, okay, well, I'm gonna pray a prayer just so that I'm safe. And, and that's this, this thing of easy believism. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian because I believe in God. But the reality is we call to more we call to live out our faith. Remember uh, in our James series and, and what James says is, is you show me your faith, I'll show you my works. Obviously we're not saved by our works, but in our faith, in our belief in God, there needs to be this out, sorry guys, there needs to be this outworking of that faith. There needs to be a life that demonstrates uh, the transforming power of Jesus, the grace that we have received in him. And this is this life of stewardship that we're talking about. We have been entrusted with our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our resources, our wealth. We spoke about the life of stewardship. It is the Christian life. We are his stewards. And there will be an account when the master returns and he's going to say, well, what did you do with what I entrusted you? And this is quite a sobering reality because the danger of easy believism, uh, the danger of heavenism is we become like uh, the lost steward or the lost servant who buried the one talent, who didn't do anything with it. Again, just thinking about this account language, uh, just look what it says quickly in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. There was an account uh, given where all of the stewards appeared before the master. Look what it is said of the last um, servant in, in verse 26 of uh, Matthew 25. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servants. I mean, those are hard words. I mean, when we think of the word wicked and what we call someone who's wicked, you may be like, he didn't commit murder, it wasn't genocide, it wasn't adultery, it wasn't, you know, corruption or embezzlement or, or something, uh, you know, what we would call bad. The master says, you wicked and lazy servant because he was unfaithful with what was entrusted to him by his master. Can see um, how God views the responsibility placed on us as His stewards and the importance of our role to take seriously and to take care of what the Lord has entrusted to us. A couple more verses that kind of speak into this and raise the, the value of this. 1 Peter says, For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, for it begins with us. Uh, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I just want to clear something up. We really believe that Scripture teaches if someone has come to faith in Jesus Christ, they can never lose their salvation. Right? These Scriptures are not talking about someone losing their salvation. That cannot happen if we've come to faith in Him. What uh, does uh, happen or what scripture does speak to is that what happens is as his stewards, those of us in relationship with him, uh, can lose our rewards. 
So what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a great passage for you to go through. And this is talking about, uh, in, in the context, this is talking about two types of believers. So these are God's people, people who have come to faith in Christ. They are uh, people who are saved, because remember, you can't lose your salvation. And it's uh, talking about uh, their lives being tested with fire. And so if what has been built survives, um, I, I see I've left off um, part of the verse, uh, talk, looking at the two lives, one is built with sticks and straw and the other one has been built with gold and silver and jewels. And what happens is that will get tested with fire. And this is speaking into our reward. What survives then is the reward. So if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, um, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Again, it's impossible for us to lose our salvation. But our actions and uh, our life as stewards of what God has entrusted with us is going to be held to account. It's going to be tested with fire. And um, Steve mentioned it like this this morning. Think of a house of straw and sticks. If you light that on fire, that's just going to get burnt up. Then no reward. Saved, but as though one just escaping the flames. The other house, gold, silver, jewels, tested with fire. When we run silver and gold through fire, what happens? It's refined. All the impurities are burnt away. There is reward for those who faithfully serve the Lord and, and use those resources entrusted to them well for the extension of his kingdom. Bill Hubbles has a quote, and he says this, those of you afflicted with affluence will one day be grateful that I challenged you the way I did. So it's a great quote. Those of you afflicted with affluence will one day be grateful I challenged you the way that I did. Because if you go back to verse 21 of our original passage, our hearts are always going to be challenged by the things of this world. And Jesus ends off this passage by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, everything that we've been speaking about money and our finances and our wealth has been dealing with our heart because we know how much our heart is being pulled into the things of this world and uh, the value of possessions, the value of identity found in, in the things of this world and worrying about our earthly treasures without shifting our gaze further out to thinking about our heavenly treasures and, and thinking about eternity. Thinking about this, you know, I think it's uh, part of the problem is we actually, I think, have such a low view or understanding of heaven and, and uh, there's been such bad teachings uh, about eternity well, the one that's we often use the language oh, we're going to spend eternity in heaven which is not quite true because of uh, what scripture teaches about in fact that we actually spend eternity on the new earth and so many bad images of you know that we sit on a cloud in a diaper playing a harp uh, kind of for all eternity uh, picture me in a diaper playing a harp I think you might find yourself in hell there is nothing appealing about that in any way, but that isn't the reality of eternity. Eternity is spent uh, doing other things. The new earth, uh, it's not just this thing where we're on a cloud. 
We need to shift our thinking into the reality of that. And we don't live our lives in light of eternity. We are too short-sighted in being consumed with the worries of this present world without our gaze firmly fixed on the eternity or the eternal life in the new earth. And our heart is where our treasure is. And we need to be shifting. Again, we spoke about the love of money last week, but this is again just so, so important for us. A guy by the name of Thomas Chalmers, he he talks about, uh, he has a saying, the uh, the expulsive power of a new affection. See, we can't just go, okay, I'm not going to love money anymore. I'm going to love, love you, God. If money is an idol in our heart, if we have uh, been drawn into this thing of uh, being so focused on establishing a, a life, a career, um, an investment portfolio, a, a financial security, um, you know, this home, uh, just making sure that we're taken care of in this life. We fall into this trap that that is what we live for. That's the idol of our hearts. We can't just lay that down. Uh, idols don't always work that way. If uh, you've ever been part of a fad and you loved one thing and then all of a sudden you were loving one thing, what changed your love was this expulsive power of a new affection. Your new love drove out the old love. And so if we have an idol in our hearts, if our treasure is the things of this earth and if we value earthly treasure, that is what we love can't just lay that down. We have to have a new love or a greater love that chases that out and is replaced. And um, the only way we're going to do that is if our love for Jesus is so much greater than our love for earthly treasures. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I think he knew the power of materialism that it's going to have on society. Which is why he said, love me with all of your strength. Because it's going to take all of our strength to love him more than the treasures of this earth. I love what Tim Keller says. He put it so well when he says that when we see Jesus dying to make us his treasure, he becomes ours. For us to shift our gaze out from 30 years to 30 million years, for us to shift our focus on stockpiling earthly treasures to understanding uh, earthly or heavenly treasures, to understand uh, what it means to be a good and faithful servant, to live uh, that life that uh, God desires of us, uh, it's to really grasp and understand that how much He has loved me and that I live in light of that. Now, a question that gets asked, but, you know, isn't it wrong for me to be living for rewards? And yes, motive is important, and I like to think of it like this. We live this life for a God who rewards, not we do this for rewards. We get to live our lives as faithful stewards of this incredible God who gave up everything for us. Made us, history just thinking about it today, how Jesus willingly gave up his life. 
I was thinking about the crucifixion and that whole moment. Who was in control of Jesus' arrest and trial, his public beating, and his public execution? Who was in charge of that whole thing? It was Jesus who willingly gave up his life. Because he knew what needed to be done to deal with our debt of sin. He knew what needed to be done for us to be in right standing with the Father. He went through that. I mean, he first loved us while we were his enemies. To know how much he loved us, that he treasured relationship with us. And for us to deal with the heart of money, to deal with the heart of possessions, it's getting to a place where we love God more than anything else. I think what I'm really trusting for in this series is that as we're speaking into this, that we're just going to be living greater lives of faith and trust and devotion to the God who loved us more than his own life. And what it cost Jesus to take on our sin. And that's why we live this life of faithful stewardship. Not because we get rewards, because there is a God who does reward. But he is also a God who is worthy of us to live this life of faith in light of everything that he has done. We're called to this. And I really want us to spend some time thinking and praying. Um, Dan, where are you? Can you give me some... Some background music, please. It just always helps us to kind of connect with what the Lord is potentially saying to us. But I really want you to spend some time thinking about this. Where, again, we've been mining this for a few weeks now, but I still think uh, God is wanting to do so much more with our hearts. Where are we as with our understanding of stewardship? Where are we with understanding with that God requires my affection above everything else? What is still vying for number one in my heart? We use this language this morning. Like search your heart. Ask the Lord to reveal to you what it is that you need to be laying down for him. What is consuming your life so that God isn't number one? And I think there's some specific things that the Lord wants to do in some of our hearts tonight. And what I think he wants to do is to return to some of us the joy of our salvation. That what has happened is as we've been living uh, this life, as we've been caught up in careers with families and, and the need to pay bills, our drive has become to meet ends meet. And we're not living out of the joy of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And that joy is gone. And so our treasures are on earth, not our treasure is Jesus. And so that our decisions in life and the things that we're making is not in, 
in light of what does Jesus want me to do and, and, and how do I live uh, this life as a steward, but we're just caught up in other things. But as you're asking the Lord to show you, what do you need to lay aside and lay down for the Lord? I specifically want to pray for people who have lost the joy of their salvation. It might be a recent thing. It might be a long-term thing. It might be that you've just been caught up in the things of this world and, and it's just the way your life has gone has necessitated that you've had to work harder or try to gain more money, but the result is your gaze is not on Jesus anymore. If that is you, I just want you to quickly slip up your hand so I can pray specifically for you. And when I pray, I want you to receive this by faith. Jesus, there have been many people this evening who have been caught up in the things of this world, Lord God, and, and the joy of what you have done in their lives has, is no longer there. Holy Spirit, I pray by your grace that you would remind them of what you have done for them that you would fill them again with incredible joy. Remind them of what it was like to be your enemy, to have such a debt, a debt that could not be paid in any way, that they would feel the weight of that gone replaced with our identity as sons and daughters adopted heirs, co-heirs with Christ declared righteous and have the righteousness of Christ, the full love and forgiveness and justification that comes with salvation in you Lord God Holy Spirit that you would remind them of that in an incredible way that every uh, bit of their life is now consumed and is, uh, is captivated by your salvation and your grace and so their gaze shifts firmly back onto you. That they'll start to notice joy that was not there before. Joy that comes from you. And that their strength comes from your joy. Holy Spirit, won't you strengthen them with that? And in fact, I actually pray that for all of us. That all of us would have a greater knowledge and insight into what you have done for us on the cross, Jesus that all of us would feel a greater depth and understanding of what it means to have our sin placed on you, the perfect spotless one, and to in return have your righteousness and to be declared righteous in the sight of God, to be adopted sons and daughters. And Lord God, that what would drive us as stewards is the relationship that we have with you. Ask this in your wonderful name. Amen.